Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Preview Show. Another busy weekend ahead with big games and big moments around. We're going to be talking about all the Premier League fixtures, but with a particular focus on the Manchester Derby with Christmas coming. Is Jesus going to grab all the headlines? No? Okay, all right. Terrible. Uh, I just have to get a new writer. We'll also be taking uh, an in-depth look at Leicester uh, going to Aston Villa and also uh, some news coming out of Chelsea uh, yesterday, which we'll pick up, and there at Everton. So I'm not going to do that all on my own. My name is Ant McGinley, but I'm joined in the studio uh, by City YouTuber Steve McInerney. Hello. How are you? Are you all right? I'm good. Yourself? You look very festive, but that is because... That's definitely not my choice. No. I'm surrounded by... Lapland, basically. Uh, yeah, as in Christmas Lapland. And uh, we've got uh, our resident. That's a different show. Yeah. We've got our resident journalist Fergal Brennan. Hello. Hello. And uh, joining us for the first time, a debut in our Winter Wonderland. Uh, we've got Tyrone Marshall, senior football writer for United and City at the Manchester Evening News. Hello. Good to be on board. Welcome. Welcome to the gang. Uh, Thank you. So, uh, seeing as you're here and you're covering both those teams, and seeing as it is in many ways, the big game of the weekend. It's really the only place to start. So I, I think it's fair to say that it's not been the best season for both teams. Uh, though this week, there's been a slight turn up. City were clinical for at least 80 minutes against Burnley midweek. And United pulled out what, for me, was their best performance of the season so far against Spurs. It's the late kickoff today at the Etihad. Mm. Let's start with City. So, Steve? Yes. Um Aguero confirmed out for most of the month. Um, leaves Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. As the, Jesus. Oh, it's actually Jesus. Je, is, Je, is that Jesus? That's, it's not Jesus. That's, that's Spanish. It's Portuguese. Really? It's that's Jesus. How, that's how my dad would say it. Yeah, like, that's what I used to, and I used to get corrected <laughs> countless times on videos. So I've learned no, the hard way. It just reminds me, it's Jesus. Like, yeah, it's what my my dad says whenever he drops something. Yeah, but, uh, that's coming from an Irish family. Uh, so, uh, only recognised striker <laughs> that's fit. 
and that's an out and out strike. He got a stunning goal against Burnley. A mm-hmm. um, lot of pressure on him, but at the same time, he is, he is a starting striker for Brazil. He would have he must be American for him, you know. Exactly. So um, this is nothing for him really, and I think he needs this. And this could be one of those. Um, uh, so when circumstance kind of shines a fortunate light on something, a situation which is really negative, and I genuinely think it could be his chance to uh, shine and really show how good he can be. And Aguero kind of disappears at Christmas most years anyway. He seems to pick up an injury, uh, so I think this is his chance. And I'm quite excited for him because I really, really like him. I think he gets a very, very hard uh, deal from some people. Not everyone, but people kind of don't appreciate how much you know run of form is really necessary, especially for an emotional character. I mean, he is an emotional character. Like it, it's kind of been well documented how. He, he he feels like he's disconnected from his family and all that kind of stuff and how he's performed better when his family have been here. So it, it suggests to me that he's the kind of person that wants to feel loved and feel kind of special. And at the moment he's uh he's kinda he's got the that chance to kind of shine and, and he's proven countless times while while at Manchester City that if he gets a run of games, he does score. I saw a great stat. He scored twenty eight goals in forty one starts in the Premier League for City. The guy scores wow. goals when he starts, you know. He's that that's exactly the same record as Aguero's first forty one starts, uh, coincidentally at Manchester City. So this guy does score when he gets a chance to play the problem he's got and it must be really hard to come in behind one of the greatest strikers in the history of the game and constantly be the guy that they go to when they need someone to do a job but never be the main man it must be really hard especially when he's a young kid from Brazil uh, he's come over he didn't speak the language but he's made an effort to learn the language he's tried to adapt to living over here without his family when he could have just gone and been a star in Italy or something like that somewhere else but he's stuck around and he's worked really hard I like him a lot um, and we saw what he's capable of when he actually gets a bit of confidence that first goal against Burnley stunning oh. second one was a lovely finish as well really yeah, nice finish and then he nearly scored the most sumptuous of hat-tricks with that thing where he dropped his uh, dropped the shoulder and passed the defender he's a good player a very good player um is he the level of Aguero? No, no, probably not. No, but there's no shame in that. He's 22. You know, give him a chance to prove how good he can be, and I think he'll surprise a lot of people. Physically, he, he's like Aguero's like a short guy, but Aguero's a strong guy. Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> uh, every day is a school day. Uh, I am not an expert in yeah. Portuguese. Trust me. Uh, I, I, I should know better because I have been learning it. So he, he's he's not like. He's kind of halfway between the little guy and the big guy because he's he's obviously he's got a couple of inches on Aguero, but yeah. he's, he's he's not built like Aguero. He's probably got Aguero's old kind of darting pace as well. Aguero's lost a bit of that as he's got older, mm. which is no shame. That's one thing he's got a bit older. Now, Aguero's much more uh, well. Aguero can strike a ball considerably, considerably better than Jesus can, but um, but yeah, he's he's a bit he's a little bit bigger. He's a little bit. Uh, I'd probably say he's a lot more comfortable with holding the ball up in general. Uh, he seems to. Yeah, he has. I'd say he's got quicker feet as well. That's probably not controversial, really. He's definitely got quicker feet. Um, he lacks maybe the composure of Aguero. He lacks obviously that. Um, Aguero just terrifies teams. I don't know how he does it. And Aguero is obviously an incredibly instinctive finisher, like a, one of the greatest finishers genuinely the game has ever seen. And like he will go down and be remembered as this just stunning finisher. Uh, and Aguero can run past people. Aguero can bounce defenders off him and all that kind of stuff but Gabriel Jesus is a little bit different he's more of a he's more natural in terms of pressing he's got the energy to run all day and I don't think Aguero has quite got that he tries but I don't think he's got that same natural ability to do that he can do it but he's definitely had to work at that um, he's different to Aguero but he does share similarities at the same time I think he, he won't be able to copy everything Aguero does but you know once again there's no shame in that but he could definitely be his own man and still be just as effective in his own way of course, we've got to remember that uh, there is another team playing, which is United. So, Ty- Tyrone, if you want to take take on their mantle, it, it is it, are they going to feel the same threat that they would feel facing Aguero today? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't think there's a, a huge amount of difference. I think 
like Steve said, Jesus is a real Jesus is a real confidence striker, and you saw that confidence return with that goal on on Tuesday night. He'd missed a one on one maybe ten minutes before that yeah. goal, and he'd taken it wide, and he looked like his he looked then like a striker short of confidence, and then by the time the game was out, he looked like he was going to score every time he got the ball. So I think he'll go into the derby in in that frame of mind, but. I think at the end of the day, you're facing a world-class striker, aren't you? And United, United's strong point this season has been the defence, though. So I think mm. they will. Although they, they kind of went, for want of a better phrase, balls out against Spurs this week. They did. Uh, are, are they going to, I mean, it'd be a brave move to, to do that against City this evening. Do you think Do you think they will? Or how do you think they will, you know, react to City, but also keep that momentum? I, I think they're... I think the game suits them in a way because this is a team built to play on the break. They've got very quick front line. Rashford and James will start. Who starts with them is probably the, the big debate. But they've got they've got pace to burn going forward. They've got players in midfield who will look for that quick forward pass. And I think they'll see it as a game where they can really get at City and hurt City. They're obviously going to be tested defensively and have to do a lot of defending in the game. But when they win the ball, I think they will look for, for quick transitions and try and expose City's defence, try and expose Fernandinho to Rashford's pace. And I think that's where they'll see that, that they can hurt them. They will be focusing on their own strength going into this game, I think, because they will see it as you know an, an ideal matchup going forward. And they've impressed in these sort of games this season. It's yeah. it's the first derby for a while that I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about, nailing my colours to the mast. I'm a, I'm a City fan. The last few seasons, you know, it's been a surprise when United have got a result. Mm. Um, but... Just at the moment, like as I say, it's not been a great season for both teams, but they seem to they've both had a very good week for want of a better phrase. I mean, statistically, United haven't done too bad at the Etihad, have they, Fergal? No, I mean, when you look at the numbers, United, for all the issues they've had over the last year, maybe even a little bit longer than that, they've actually got a relatively good record away at Manchester City in the derby game. They've only lost one of the last four, two, two wins and a draw to go alongside that. So alongside the confidence of the Tottenham performance and getting a win against Mr Mourinho, there's going to be a lot of positivity flowing through those players. For me, that's not what Solskjaer is going to have to manage in this game. It's about tactically. He has to get this tactically absolutely spot on. There's a lot of confidence in them. They know their record against Manchester City. They know that the fans that are going to be going across the city to the Etihad to watch the game are going to be screaming them on. That isn't going to be an issue. It's going to be tactically how Solskjaer sets up to, yes, look to contain City, but but as Tyrone said, also look to benefit from the speed of James, the speed of Rashford, when they do get a chance, because City are going to have more of the ball, they are going to look to create more chances than Manchester United. When the chances do fall for United, Rashford, who has been in good form, but almost a similar situation to, to how are we going... Jesus, 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 Jesus. Think Mrs. Brown, <laughs> Mrs. Brown's boys. It's, it's, just stick to Gabby. It's right, a yeah. not too, it's a not too dissimilar situation with Rashford. He's oh no, a, no, that's just Rashford. He's that's in a well, no, no, well, he's in a situation it's whereby Hashford, actually he's going to get a couple of chances uh, in the game. He's not going to have the amount of chances he had against Tottenham, and he played like a man possessed against Tottenham. Mm, yeah, he's going to get maybe one, maybe two chances. He needs to show. That clinical edge that United fans know he's got, but haven't seen as much of it as they would have liked to have done. That's my one fear as a City fan is um, just the pace. Really, uh, City, the one place we've been susceptible so far this season is a lot. It's in the channels. You know, Wolves did pretty well against City. Against uh, that, Liverpool obviously mm. exploited it really well because uh, we've had a lot of kind of. Um, uh, it's been like a tombola with a fullback. You know, everyone is picked seemingly picked at random. I mean, it isn't obviously, but it feels like it's a different name every week at fullback and. Uh, as a result, 
Um, especially given the fact that the centre-backs keep changing as well due to circumstance. It feels like there's just a lack of cohesion sometimes and there's always space behind the full-backs and Daniel James and Rashford, they will run into that space all day and I guess I'm almost certain that will be something that Solskjaer um, really looks to target Um, and they'll probably have some success so that's a case where they've got to be clued on to where that. I'm sure they will be. Guardiola knows a lot more than any of us do about football but like it will be a thing United try and do and they probably could have success there. That's the one thing I'm genuinely concerned about really. I think it's safe to say he knows more about football than we do and I'm guessing you know more about him than I do. So my question to you is, Best mates. is, 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 is <laughs> do you think he's likely to change the way he plays for United for this game or especially with <laughs> no, that pace? I, don't think so. I mean, Guardiola is a, you know, he's a mystery. We all know that. Like, um, what I just want personally is just, I just want him to not do anything different than we did against Burnley. That was the most cohesive Manchester City in a long time. That was Manchester City of 17, 18. You know, it felt familiar. As well. It was It was just, yeah, it was just, the other system seemed to make a lot more sense, you know. It just, so what, what, what was different for people that didn't catch well, that game? so far this season, it felt like basically because of the centre-back problems, we've had a situation where we played Gundogan a lot and he's been played alongside someone like Rodri a lot and they both sat a little bit deep and usually associate Manchester City with having the one like midfield, the number six and the two false eights and if felt at times the City's shape when they were pressing was going to more like a 4-4-2 and all that kind of stuff with David Silver going alongside the striker and the wingers pulling back a little bit um, and also Gundogan dropping a bit deeper and we had Gundogan and Rodri often trying to kind of start the play from deep whereas this time it was just pure Rodri at the back and he was passing it out to De Bruyne and David Silver and you can't see I've got hand gestures going wild here further up the pitch um, and that made a massive difference to, to the pace that we built up because Rodri was being a lot more aggressive in the way he was moving the ball between the lines you know, to use yeah, that yeah, yeah. cliche but it made a difference because he felt like Manchester City once again were pressing with everyone um, further up the pitch because he didn't have two pivots he had just one pivot there so he had an extra man pressing higher up we saw David Silva, De Bruyne, Rodrigo winning the ball back in their half. Uh, and that made a difference once again. And we saw just basically um, a team looking like a shape that they used to. And it felt like basically what we tried to do, because we've had Fernandinho um, in defence, a guy learning the role, uh, we tried to cover the defence a little bit more by having two players drop deeper in the field where we used to just have one, which was Fernandinho, obviously. Um, but because we're doing that, we're actually... Ex- uh, we're making them feel a little bit more confused which is actually exposing the defence even more weirdly it's like they're just not used to that system and mm. it's it's almost it basically feels like we've tried to be a little bit more defensive and it's just not worked if anything it's actually unsettled our pressing further up the pitch which has made us a lot more open it sounds a bit strange but I feel like it's just been confusing and the other day against Burnley that was Manchester City how they used to play aggressive on the front foot pressing a lot more a lot more natural shape for City and I liked it and I want them to carry on doing that and please do it, Pep. I bet he does. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the thing for me as well is like a lot of this has come about because obviously you've had the injury to Laporte and also we, oh, we, we co- co- company that. moved on. But the, the interesting thing for me in this is that when company came to City, he came as a midfielder. And they, they, they moved. Do you, well, he, he, he was signed as a. He, he, uh, both roles. Uh, he kind of was a bit, and he was a bit. Like he had played at centre back for Anderlecht and a bit. Of, a bit of midfield and a bit of defence for Hamburg, and um, but like, yeah, I mean, he, he, we miss him. I think we miss Vincent Company. Why wouldn't we miss Vincent Company? He was absolutely phenomenal, and it wasn't just the fact that he was playing. It was the fact that you know you, you lose someone like that, and if focus drops even one percent, that can that 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 distance can spread out so much across the team, and it can just. I don't think the players aren't focused at all. I think the players are working hard. I just feel like the lack of... There's so many reasons, basically. Laporte yeah. not being involved. Companies' mere presence maybe might make them, you know, just they're not quite as uh, prepared, maybe mentally, they may be a little bit more relaxed unintentionally. And 
I just think there's so many little variables this season, and maybe we didn't realize how much Laporte is a leader as well. Maybe you know because maybe we realized him is so crucial to how City play in terms of the shape of the defense, and it's just a bit of a shame. Well, one of the potential replacements that City were linked with uh, obviously went to United, and that was Harry Maguire. Mm-hmm. He's had time to settle in. Is he looking worth the money that United spent on him? I mean, it's difficult because it's not been the, the, the best season for United, but obviously he's part of a team. And in terms of his performances, there's been a couple of things highlighted, some of his passes occasionally, but he's had time to bed in, he's had time to settle in. He's still the player that we, we've, we've seen yeah. at Leicester and particularly for England at the World Cup. Is he looking like a United player now? I think he's getting there, yeah. I think he's definitely made that defence look more secure. And I think he's just added... I think everyone's more confident around him that he is there. I think players are better alongside him. I think he's just added a bit of authority and presence to that defence when, aside from Lindelof, there wasn't any last season. So I think in that regard, he has helped. And, you know, United have been very good defensively this season. There's been... There's been odd games and odd moments where they've looked a little shaky, but generally that defence has, has worked well and... You know, if you look at metrics like XG, not for everyone, but you know, it shows they've actually defended well. They don't give away many good chances. Uh, I mean, the irony with Maguire is probably that the one team who are better than United defensively in the league is Leicester, where he's left. They're, they're better than everybody. Yeah, they're nine goals they've only conceded. Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant defensively. So you know, that probably doesn't reflect brilliantly on Maguire, but I think he's certainly getting there with United. I think he's, you know, you know Lindelof was superb last season. He's not been at that level yet this season I think you've got to keep playing though I think those two are, are a partnership that United can rely on for, for years to come and I think just Maguire's presence and just being there and just the rest of that defence and that midfield knowing that next to them or behind them is an elite level centre half it, it just adds something just knowing he's there just the stature of him being there I think makes everyone else feel a little bit more secure Steve's already mentioned that he's nervous as a City fan mm. About the channels behind, but I mean, are United the less nervous team coming into this? Does it mean less? I mean, arguably, it means uh, for for Solskjaer to go and get a result at the Etihad would do That's him massive. wonders and yeah. do do great for the team. It, it would, but I think the pressure's all on City. City are at a point where That's they fair, yeah, they agree. can't really drop points at the moment in the title race. They've they've got to keep it keep it close and take advantage of any Liverpool slip ups and. United are going to the Etihad. Although we're saying there's, it feels an open game and there's a bit of vulnerability perhaps around City at times this season, everyone still expects City to win, really. It's kind of a free hit for United. Obviously, if they get thrashed, that goes out the window. But it's a game where they will feel that no one really expects yeah. them to win. And it's also a game where United have been good against these big sides last season. We were mentioning Solskjaer getting it tactically right against these teams earlier. But he... He kind of does that in the way that he generally sets his team up. United's problem tactically is when they've got a deep defence to break down and they don't know how to do it. The problem is when they're playing Sheffield United and Aston Villa and Crystal Palace and Bournemouth, but they the only, yeah. only team to take points off Liverpool. They've beaten Chelsea home and away. They were brilliant against Tottenham the other night. And, and I think there's just a feeling that this game might might suit them. They've got Rashford and James you know, against Liverpool. They played almost behind the fullbacks, they force those fullbacks back, and I think they can do a similar thing yeah. against City and, and almost do a job on on the fullbacks and either stop them attacking or if they do attack, we'll have that space behind you and pull the centre halves out. So, you know, going forward, I do think there's a sense that the game might quite suit United, but I think there's also a sense that it's probably a little bit of pressure off them in a way. As the closest we've got to a neutral in the studio, Phil, <laughs> uh, the subjective point of view, what way do you see this game going? 
Um, I still would would side with City. Um, I I just look at the situation as as Tyrone said. Manchester City cannot afford to lose points the way Liverpool are going. Um, I think at the start of the season, or when you look at games on the calendar, you might go, "Oh, a point could be the way this would go." And United are, you know, obviously going to be massively up for it. If Man City were in a different run of form, or this was a different situation, and Liverpool hadn't been so dominant so far this season, there's potential call that you could say United could draw this because, sorry. Manchester City could draw this because of previous results or games that are in the bag already. That isn't the case. Between now and I would say between now and the end of the season, Manchester City can almost afford to drop nothing because of the way Liverpool has started and, and the gap that's opened up. So United will give it a bash. Uh, I expect them to score. As Tyron said, the players they've got, the the pace and the attacking threat that they've got, I expect them to score. But City have got just so much quality. And there's an interesting thing that I expect Guardiola to do, to do in the game tonight. And we've seen this with him since he's come to Manchester City. He's he's got his boys for the big games, for the Champions League games, for derby games. Obviously, as Steve said before, company's a big one of that and he's gone and Aguero is obviously out injured. But he also always plays certain players in certain games. The likes of David Silva will play, Sterling will play. Uh, I quite fancy Kyle Walker to come back into the team for a game like this because he trusts them, he knows that they can deal with these situations and that they'll follow and execute the plan that he tells them to. Okay, so... That's tonight at 5.30. Before we move on and look at the other games, we put a poll out earlier on the, the Twitter account. And um, what, what, <coughs> what were the results of that? It was about derby memories. We put four yep. games out there, didn't we? Uh, so an absolute landslide of a victory. Manchester United fans ahead of the game tonight and, and obviously just Manchester United fans listening won't be thanking us for this. Uh, the winner, I think in the end it was 84%. Uh, was Manchester City's 6-1 derby victory. Steve's, Steve's already laughing before it. he even hits the result. <laughs> um, I don't think any of the other suggestions, which was the Rooney bicycle kick, uh, winner, Paul Scholes' last-minute winner at the Etihad, um, and I think the last one was the last main road derby where Sean Gota scored twice to win for City. Um, all of them paled in terms of the Twitter poll uh, to the 6-1, which was the clear, clear winner. You My favourite's not even on there. So. Which, which was your favourite then? Uh, the, I was at the game Vincent Company header uh, in the <sighs> title race with the 1-0 back in April, just as City were closing in. Is that uh, five games to go? Yeah, some, yeah. yeah some five games, something like that. And um, the tension in the ground, you know, then when Vinny <sighs> popped up and did his Vinny thing, and I just remember just going absolutely crazy. Like, limbs everywhere, genuine limbs everywhere. It was amazing. I also like underrated one, just the, the 4-1 with Sean Rat Phillips. That way, I love that game for some reason. Like, something about it is really satisfying. It was like, I remember, was it as well? Was it, um, which was the game? Was it, was it 3 0 when we Nasri scored after about two minutes? It was a 3 4 That was just that comfortable. It was just comfortable. Like, it was weirdly comfortable. And it was really satisfying as well because for a long time, it seemed to be for about three, four seasons, there would always be a United winner. Like in whatever competition yeah, we yeah. played them in extra, Late in injury on. time, like four or five minutes. I remember Owen getting one uh, in one of the cup games. I just to the point where it started to become annoying. But I mean, so like in terms of results and games overall, is is the one that stands out for you? Um, I think probably for United fans, the Owen one was was probably quite a big one because I think it was not long. It was only a couple of months after the City takeover. There was a sense that you know they were going to splash all that cash. They were the, the coming force in English football. They were making a bit of noise, and then you know it was such a topsy turvy game, and to win it the way they did United and, and so late. I mean, it was one of the very few things Michael Owen did a United shirt, but I think it was one of those moments <laughs> where he just sort of secured his status at the club thanks to to that goal and, and the way it came about. And I think that was a, a huge one. The Skulls winner, obviously, was an important one. And you know they, they've had some 
They've had some thrilling wins at the Etihad recently as well. I think they've won three two there maybe three oh, times in the last, yeah. don't talk about the last six or seven two. years. Obviously the the, oh, the one that denied City the title. It was, was small was going in. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, was just an incredible, I was incredible drunk at game. Half time going crazy. Thought we'd won the league. They were, they were just so they were so, was horrible so dominant in that first half. And I mean, where United should have been pulled six that or seven. Off, yeah, been, yeah, should have been where United pulled that from was just absolutely. I didn't even know. No, I think they pulled it from City's own complacency that yeah. day. Like, Possibly, the, yeah. league, that was it. the one that stands out for me was the uh, anniversary of Munich, which kind of seemed really disrespectful. But going to Old Trafford and Benjani for me, that's mm. the, the one memory that one positive memory that I have of of Benjani. And just I think it was a header from a corner. It was indeed. And uh, just it, for me, it was that weird thing of just the silence, just not not hearing that kind of atmosphere in at Old Trafford. Mm just really sort of penetrating through the the other thing that i've got from from the derby and it's you'll understand why i'm not going to highlight which game but you have mentioned it but one of those games had such a big impact on me that it's one of my internet passwords <laughs> and then the, so, so i'm not going to say anymore because otherwise i might have a very difficult christmas time what i love it like it's gone from like for, for, since i've grown up it's gone from city being terrible to so city being pretty bad and always being the underdogs but but being in the premier league to then getting relegated and not actually playing United anymore, mm. to then getting back in the Premier League, to then actually eventually getting good and being their equals, to then actually being miles better than them. It's really weird. I've seen the whole every single possible circumstance of how it could be approached at Derby. Just like it's it's kind of strange. And I, I forget how much I used to go to Derby's fearing the worst. Though we did always put up a good fight actually, you have yeah. to beat them. It's just it's weird mm. seeing it from every possible angle. Cause I think we're at the point now where if United had that result against Spurs, I would have had absolutely no qualms about this game whatsoever. I'd have been like, yeah, this is just going to be easy. Not be easy, but you know, this is City of favourites and we're playing another random team. But it's, it feels like it's just weird how much it's shifted. I, I love think it. T- talking of those years without a derby as well, I think it was a nice little um, bar from Solskjaer <laughs> on, uh, on Friday morning. <laughs> I think one United fan will have enjoyed when he was talking about it, how it's nice to have a derby every season because when he first joined he didn't play City I think it was five years before he actually played City but I think he had a smile on his face when he uh, it was funny that one. Like, I think that people one, keep bad it's like, it, it was funny yeah, yeah. I've been doing it all the time yeah. when I was a manager I think it's the type, the type of comment that perhaps came to him in the shower one morning and he just thought oh yeah I'm going to use that I guarantee you though he would morning. not be saying that if he hadn't beat Spurs <laughs> No, no, it might be a bit more sheepish. Yeah. Might be a bit yeah. more sheepish. Yeah. yeah, my my first derby that I, that I went to was um, the last season of the first division when we beat Leeds four mm. nil on the Saturday, I think it was, and I was at Main Road for that game, and we were. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever experienced. And then in the last ten minutes of the game, the entire kip axe just suddenly dropped because we went, "Oh no, we've given it to United." And then on Wednesday, on the Wednesday, we went, Neil Pointman got sent off, which was the worst thing that could have happened. But we managed a one-all draw, and then that was enough to slow United down and, and for Leeds to go on. But I wonder, are, are on the scale of things, are derbies as important and as valuable to people now? Because especially when we're talking about City and like not being able to drop a point towards the end of the season, literally every game is as big as this now. Yeah, I, I think I've, I'm looking forward to this. I feel like City need this actually. I think United. I think both clubs need this game at the moment. Weirdly, I think it's like um, for their for their own reasons, this game. And I, I'm actually kind of glad Solskjaer made that comment as well. I think he's added a little bit of needle to it, which mm, is probably spice. needed. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. good. And um, not that the you know the multinational millionaire footballers of Manchester City will care because why would they? They were they didn't know what's going on with City 20 years ago. And not, it's more for the fans, I reckon. Mm. And um, I'm looking forward to actually being. Um, I'm looking forward to the derby atmosphere. Like it's, it is fun, and it, it, 
and you forget how much you miss that when it comes around again. And I can't wait. I'm looking forward to the game later. It's going to be so, so much mm. fun. Although you say that, that there is a possibility, depending on how the teams come out, that, you know, Foden comes on in the last few minutes and obviously there's Rashford. We could have two local boys scoring. I mean, that would be fun, wouldn't it? But as long as... When was, the, when, was, when was the last time that happened in a Manchester derby? Well, definitely happened with City. For, for <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does, King, does King Cladsey count? <laughs> 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 right, uh, we're going to leave it there. Take a little bit of a break. And there are other games happening this weekend, believe it or not. Uh, so we're going to take a look at those. Um, we're going to start with... Uh, Aston Villa and Leicester, which is tomorrow. And then the early kickoff today, which is Everton and Chelsea. We're going to take a look at those in depth and, of course, at all the other Premier League games that are taking place over the weekend. Football Social Daily Premier League Preview. Sports Social. It's the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Preview Show. I'm Ant McGinley. Joining me in the studio, Fergal Brennan, our journalist. We've got City YouTuber Steve McInerney and Shrewsbury fan and also senior football writer for United and City at the MEN, yes. Tyrone Marshall. Quite the combo. Yeah. Uh, how, how's Shrewsbury going? <laughs> Obviously, you know, just take a moment from the Premier League. <laughs> things going well there? Yeah. That's uh, it all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's uh, go back to today then. Uh, no, let's let's look at tomorrow. So uh, four games on tomorrow. Let's start with a big one: Villa against Leicester. Uh, just after yesterday's podcast uh, went out, the news broke that Brendan Rodgers has signed a new contract for five years, I believe, which is uh, quite long. Jamie Vardy's flying as well. On the other side, uh, Villa are playing like a team that have just been promoted. But is that good enough for the Villa fans? Uh, I'd say on the, the start of the season, given the money that they've spent, I would say they're performing just below expectation. I, I get what you mean about they're a newly promoted side and we shouldn't be expecting too much from them. But I think given the size of club, which no one really likes as a term, but you know we have to classify them in, in that conversation, given the history they've got and the size of the city that they're from. Um, 16th so far, they've just won one game in their last five the issue for them has been letting in goals and, and that's ultimately what's undermined them so far this season. There's been huge amounts of conversations about Jack Grealish's form and John McGinn and, and Wesley kind of coming to the fore and getting a few important goals and Tyrone Mings getting a call up for England. But there's still issues dotted through that team, which has meant that they haven't been able to kick on in the way a Sheffield United have and, and get that sort of a consistency. And that's something that Smith needs to address, not just for, for the game against Leicester, but I would say moving forward for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're I think they're great to watch Aston Villa. They do concede goals. They scored a lot in the Championship as well. But I think that's just the way Dean Smith sets his team up. I think it's yeah. a a failing of. I think the goals they concede is a failing of a system rather than individuals. Mm. They haven't got a great defensive midfielder. They play a very attacking system. I think they play quite a similar system to City in that they have that sitting midfielder and then basically play two number eights in yep. Grealish and McGinn. You know, their attacking roles, Grealish playing as one of your three central midfielders is, is very bold, especially in the Premier League. And that's what makes them good to watch and enjoyable to watch. And I really hope they do well this season. I've I got a lot of time for Dean Smith. I think it's a great story there. But I think they're going to continue to score goals. I, I don't think Tyrone Mings is defensively as good as people might suggest he is, to be honest. Um, but I just, I just think they're set up to concede goals and I can't see him changing. I think he'll just... He'll back them to create more chances and score more goals to, to keep them up. 
And I think that's, as you say, this idea of a defensive midfielder. They've, they've been set in picking Grealish and McGinn, but they've, they've changed it around behind them. Douglas Louise, ex-Manchester United, uh, Manchester City player, sorry, uh, Conor Harahan, Marvellous Nakambe, who's probably got the best name in the Premier League, yeah. <laughs> have all rotated in that role. But none of them really look comfortable because whilst they're not as attacking as Grealish and McGinn, they are... F- Front foot forward midfielders. He's on the left now, and he Grealish a lot. To be honest, I think yeah. he's moved out to the left mm. quite a bit. Maybe it's because of that, because defensively they've been quite open. But yeah, like I, 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 I like the fact that they're going for it. I yeah, like the fact they're trying to score goals. I, I, you know, you'd rather die trying than just give up. You know, and like I, I think that if we look at the results recently, they haven't been that bad. You know, beating Newcastle, drawing at United, given the given the context of United is at the moment, that's not bad really. And losing to Chelsea away, you know, it's, that's not really that. Bad a result is it? You know, Chelsea are one of the best teams in the country, and I think they'll, I think they'll stay up. And I think that I know they spent a lot of money, but they had to spend money. Bear in mind as well, they also had about eight players leaving the summer as well, so they've they've had a bit of a turnover uh, hugely. And so is uh, that is is that down to the manager? Because I think a fear a lot of people had, particularly Villa fans, was. They, they'd almost they were worried they were going to do a Fulham because yeah. we saw that last season. Fulham I, came up, almost bought a new squad, and they didn't gel. So is that is that down to? The, the the management is, is it down to the philosophy what is what is down to the management the, the, the fact that the, the, they're performing better than Fulham were because by this point last well, season I think Fulham to do a Fulham was just the first time anyone had, had happened so people just said quite lazily oh to do a Fulham what spent money like it's like that's <laughs> basically it I mean like not every loads of teams have spent money and stayed up or loads of teams spent money and gone down it's like I, I think it was just an easy comparison because there were, you know, in terms of recent history, a similar size club in terms of like, you know, a bit of a yo-yo club and all that kind of stuff. But um, Villa had to spend, you know, I think what did, what Fulham did actually was marginalise players that got them there. Uh, Villa actually lost a lot of players who were on loan and all that kind of stuff. And they actually signed the players who were already there and things. So Villa spent, it wasn't the same way. It was just like, right, you guys, you're not good enough anymore. I think they actually bought because they had to. It was like a bit of a necessity. Um, so, I mean, and to be honest, the players so far they've brought in have been pretty decent. You know, so it hasn't been... Um, I think I think, it, I think it's fair enough, really. Uh, and I actually, uh, yeah, I said, I think they'll stay up and I, I, I like them as a team. Now, a lot of people predicted this season it was going to be between Liverpool and City for the league. But I'm not sure a lot of people would have put Leicester City up there. Jamie Vardy's flying. Uh, as as a Man City fan, are you envious of how Leicester performed, particularly their defence? Only nine goals conceded. I saw this coming. I said it said at the start of the season there, my, my tips for um, challenging the top four, and mainly because they were actually, other than City and Liverpool, when, since Rodgers joined at the end of last season, they were the most informed team in the league. Um, Rodgers is a very good manager, and um, I didn't think they'd be above us at this stage, um, but I'm not surprised they're doing as well as they are because they're a very good team with very good players all over the pitch, and it's one of those things when you when you go for the level and you go, oh, he's good, he's good, oh, he's yeah. good as well, he's good, he's good, and they've got a bunch of young players, you know, each of his game and and a very good manager, a manager um, obviously that signed a new contract now as well, which I'm sure we're talking a bit about. Um, I'm not surprised they've obviously got you know someone like Vardy who's just it's, he's one of the players of the decade. I know, like genuinely, this is the, we're in the Jamie Vardy era in general. Like I know that sounds crazy, but when you think about players who define the 2000, 2010s, like. It's people like him and, and Kante, who's also at Leicester, and he's such a fantastic player that we just kind of take for granted because he's Jamie Vardy, you know, he's this, this bloke, random bloke, and it's like if he was, you know, if he was an expensive overseas import, we'd all be raving about him constantly. And but then they're just so well balanced, such a good team. You know, Madison, Pereira, Chilwell, uh, Soyuncu has come out of nowhere. Um, yeah, fantastic. He's the working man's footballer as well, Jamie Vardy, isn't <laughs> he? Brilliant. Knocking back cans brilliant. of Red Bull before a game, you know, doing I've got a great anecdote about him, actually. Yeah, Vodka Skittle, that's he, my anecdote about he, him, apparently just, once. 
Yeah, they don't show you know the story, but but once he went, he was had this little calf injury, and they're like, oh, he wasn't getting over it for absolutely ages. And I'm like, what's going on? So eventually, so what are you eating at home? And he went, oh, you know the usual stuff, blah blah. I said, what are you drinking? He's like, oh, well, vodka. And like, okay, what? And he had like he was putting skittles in vodka yeah. as he was drinking. <laughs> yeah. So like the sugar levels in his blood were insane. Apparently, like yeah, that's why you're not getting better. But that's, for, that's for, vodka. It, it, for for those of you who haven't done that before, I mean, I, I used to do this all the time. Just don't put the green ones in. But he did <laughs> it as like in the evening, in the way that someone would have like you know a kind of coke or whatever. He did that. So that was yeah. his evening drink. Well, well the trick was having pasta. He was yeah. having vodka yeah. skittles. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the, the the trick to it is is to prepare. So you put the skittles in, leave them overnight in the freezer. And, uh, and it then sounds awful. It it's actually, yeah, uh, but then effectively, what you're doing is you're drinking it neat afterwards. But uh, please drink responsibly. Hashtag. Are you speaking to Jamie Vardy there? Or <laughs> yeah. listen to Too late for that. Hey, well, look. You know what? Let, let's let's take a moment and look at what the guy's done. And he's he's on for breaking the Premier League record if he keeps going the way yeah, he is in yeah. terms of scoring continuous games. He's been at a World Cup. He's played in the Champions League. He's you know what won the Premier League. The, you got what a guy. You know quality. This, the moral of the story is we should all be on vodka skills. <laughs> also, by the way, he's on 14 goals. He's like by far the top goal scorer this season. Yeah. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah, stand, he's yeah, Abraham's on 11, you know, like uh, 14 goals he's on in 15 games. Is he, I don't even know if he's played all the 15 games, but he's on 14 goals. He, he could break his own record of scoring consecutive games. I think he's on He's on seven, seven and now. this is 11, the record. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good point in which to introduce uh, a guest for t- today's show. It's Jordan Blackwell, who's the Leicester City correspondent for the Leicester Mercury, a paper I used to read when I used to live just around the corner from Filbert Street and DJ at the Halftime Orange. You remember that? I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was me. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> uh, so, so we're just talking about our, our, our love of Jamie Vardy. Obviously, he's already achieved legendary status in the city and with the fans. I mean, is he is he actually playing better this season than he did the year you won the league? I, I think you'd have to say yes. I think it's, certainly his goals record speaks for that. Um, I think he's up to 14 for the uh, for the campaign now. Um, I think he got 24 in the season uh, that Leicester won the league. So he's not too far off that already. And we're, we're not even halfway through the campaign. But I think his, his general all-round play is, is better than it was um, four years ago. Obviously, that, the title winning season was only his second season um, in a top division. Um, and I think he has progressed since then, even though I know we, we quite often say that when players hit the, the 30-year-old mark, they kind of go the other way in terms of their, in terms of their ability but he, he's not showing that at all he's still got um, he's still got the same speed in his legs uh, which I think has been slightly helped by his England retirement he, he had his first full pre-season this season since 2014 um, so it's you know it's been a long time that he's that he's not had a um, since he's had a full pre-season um, but yeah his general play is a lot better I think tactically he's a little bit better his first touch is very good the way he brings uh, players uh, into the game is very good. Um, the, his movement, the, the the intelligence of his runs, that's he's, that's all spot on. I think the the sort of the added factor has been Rogers and the way Rogers has helped um, uh, sort of almost gear everything towards him. I think there was a case that under previous regimes, Vardy was a man in an eleven man team. Now everything is geared towards um, Vardy. The, he doesn't have to sprint around as much. Rogers sort of um, uses a high press and the the wingers and midfielders get involved as well so Vardy doesn't have to do it by himself so he's conserving a little bit of energy um, and Rogers has told him not to, to push to the wings in search of the ball or drop deep as, as often so he's, he's solely focused on scoring the goals and I think that's why his goals record has been so good this season. 
And of course, going alongside Vardy, you've got this incredible defensive record there, considering the fact that you lost a key man in Maguire right at the end of the summer. It's surprised all of us. Has it surprised you? I it's surprised me a little bit, but probably not as much as the as the wider public. I think, um, having watched Leicester for, for, uh, for the whole of last season, I think many Leicester fans would have said this as well, Johnny Evans was the man that was leading the defence. Even though Maguire probably has a better all-round ability, certainly on the ball, the way he carries the ball out of defence, he's sort of passing through the lines. In terms of pure defensive ability, Johnny Evans has been the man um, organising the defence for Leicester. So, even though they've sold Maguire, they were able to, to sort of bring Soyuncu Chu in. He was helped because he didn't have, um, because, he, because he'd already been there for a year, sorry. Um, so he didn't really need to have much settling in time um, in terms of this season. Um, so, yes, it's, it's all down to Evans, I would say, in terms of his ability. Obviously, Ricardo and Chirwell at fullback as well, they've been in place for a while now. Um, so, yeah, it all kind of sits together quite well. And DD in front, most tackles in Europe, I think, um, this season. So, yes, it's a very strong unit. And the fact that they're there and not conceding too many chances helps the helps the attacking players going forward. Jordan, just looking ahead at the the Villa game this weekend, we, we've chatted about Villa uh, between ourselves and some of the positives, but also some of the negatives that Villa have experienced so far this season. One thing that Leicester have impressed with so consistently since the start of the season is their ability to be ruthless in both wide areas and in central areas. The way Tielemans can get beyond in Diddy, the way James Madison can just get on the ball and drive at players. Given the fact that Villa don't have a great defensive record. Do you think that'll be an area of the pitch that Rodgers will be targeting, saying to the likes of Madison, you ensure that you're in this space, give the defensive midfielders or give one of the centre-backs a decision to make to come out or stick with you while still having to worry about the pace of Vardy in behind? Yeah, I think it's definitely something that they look at and that Rodgers focuses on. I think Leicester are fully aware that clubs know Vardy is the main threat and quite often, and we saw it a little bit even with Watford uh, on on Wednesday, clubs do crowd him out from time to time. But in the process of that, they, there is space created elsewhere. Um, it will be it will be a job for Madison and Madison in particular, but Tielemans as well to get forward a little bit. I think Tielemans is the sort of player that will make runs into the box where Madison kind of hangs back. Um, he's the sort of player that's going to take sort of pot shots from 20, 25 yards uh, out wide. I think. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm a really big fan of Harvey Barnes. I think he still goes under the radar a little bit because he's not been around for so long, but he really is a, a terrific player. The, the, sort of the directness of his runs, every time he receives the ball, he's, with his first touch, he's always uh, doing something positive with it. Um, so he's going to be a, a, a player for Villa to, to watch in particular. Um, and then Perez on the other side, it's perhaps not quite... Um, producing the output that was expected of him for a, a £30 million signing just yet. But he has shown uh, a few glimpses, and I think his, um, his work rate and his defensive output in terms of harassing and um, closing down the opposition, that's really helped Leicester in terms of winning the ball back high up the pitch to create chances for Vardy. And you must be fairly uh, made up. A lovely early Christmas present at the news coming out yesterday about... Or- uh, about Rogers signing that five-year contract, which is we were just talk, chatting about. It's the longest contract we can remember since maybe the likes of Moyes at United or, or um, Pardew at Newcastle. Pa- yeah, exactly. So yeah. Uh, that, that that's a big statement. But obviously, the, there was a lot of chat earlier in the week about linking him to Arsenal. Obviously, he's made a massive impact since he's co- he, he's come in. 
are, are you overjoyed at this? Are you not surprised? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm overjoyed. Um, first of all, because he's great to deal with. Um, but also, I think he's, he's, you're right, he has made such an impact uh, in only nine months at Leicester. Uh, I'm not too surprised that he's decided to, to stay at Leicester. I, d- I didn't think that there was anything really in the, in the Arsenal um, links. I, I don't think Rodgers ever would have considered leaving. But obviously, this, this solidifies it. Um, and I think it's a, a real show of commitment both from from him, from Rogers himself, and from the club. Um, you know, to, to, to time up until 2025. Um, you're right. We've seen a, a really big impact in the nine months, and I think Rogers appreciates that there is so much potential at the club because of the age of the squad. I think most of the key players are still only around 23, um, so they're going to improve because they're not going to hit their peak for another maybe three or four years yet. He's only had nine months to work with the team, so they're not playing his style of football quite as well as he would want to, even though it's got all these good results. So I think he appreciates that this is a club that can go even further. I don't think he would consider moving on until he's taken Leicester to a point where he thinks, OK, I can't take this club any further. I need to move on uh, to reach the top. But at the minute, although given Liverpool's form, a a title... um, Title push seems uh, probably out of the question, but um, certainly you would say that Rodgers can take Leicester to that very top and, and keep them in the um, keep them in the top four for, for a few years to come. I think everybody would love to see Leicester back in the Champions League after the run that you had. I, I, I mean, I think that's is that the least that you're expecting now. Um, I think so. I think a twelve point cushion um, after fifteen games. I think. Mm, most supporters would be disappointed now if that wasn't achieved. Um, Rogers is still not talking about it. You can't get him to open up on that. Um, he's uh, he's just focusing on the next game. He's keeping all those sort of manager cliches um, going. But he's um, yeah, I think I think there would be a slight sense of disappointment if Leicester didn't get into the Champions League. I still think most supporters would probably be fairly okay if they end up finishing the Europa League. Because I think that was the that was the pre-season target to. To, to, to qualify for Europe again. So the Europa League wouldn't be too bad. Um, and I think if, um, particularly if it came through winning one of the cup competitions, Leicester, obviously Leicester won the league in 2016. They've not won a cup competition for a while. They've never won the FA Cup. Last won the League Cup in 2000. Um, so I think, you know, if they qualify for Europe that way, um, I think Leicester fans would still reflect on it as a, as a really positive season, even if they did fall out of the top four. And your predictions for the game tomorrow? I've said 2-1 to Leicester, um, but I I think it will be a little bit trickier than Leicester's recent games. Um, they've obviously got this incredible run going at the minute. If they, if they win uh, on Sunday, that'll be a, a club record, eight consecutive top flight victories. Um, but I think Villa will make it tricky for them. I think the fact that it's, it's one of only a few Midlands derbies, um, I think we'll see a, the, be, a, be a bit of bite to the game. Um, and hopefully it should be a good game anyway. Jordan, thanks very much for joining us today. And it looks like you're going to have a very Merry Christmas and hopefully uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see you playing in the Champions League again next season. Lovely, thank you. So let's leave Leicester there and move on to the games happening today and the early kickoff today at 12.30, Everton against Chelsea. There's, there's been a lot about Everton this week, so let's maybe sort of shift more of the focus 
onto Chelsea. And interestingly, it's that time of year. We're, we're in a studio decorated with all these Christmas decorations. <laughs> Everyone gets excited about Christmas markets. And Chelsea yesterday got the green light to go back into the market in the new year. The question is, with the team that they've got, the way that they've been playing, the youth that they have, do they need to sign anyone? Will they? And if so, who and where? I don't think they should. No, I don't. I don't. I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons that they shouldn't. Obviously, it depends what happens between now and January. But realistically, say they're still in a very strong position, six points, eight points, nine points clear in the top four. What, what are they going to achieve this season? They're not going to win the league. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're not going to win the Champions League. You wouldn't have thought. They might win one of the Cups, but is signing players going to help in that regard? Probably not. So I what think, are they signing players for? I think they've already punched above what most people expect yeah. them to do anyway already this season. I think this season so far is a success. I mean, mm. presumably they don't have some catastrophic like drop-off. This season is a success. Like, I think and no one expected, given the transfer ban and given the fact that they had to use you know, this insanely talented youth card in the cart, really. No one expected them to be anywhere near there with the R. Especially losing Hazard as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this season, yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, everything else would just be... You'd be chasing something as, as you just said, it's not that's not realistic. So I think in general, Lampard is a very very intelligent manager. I think he understands the reason the success so far this season has been built on players that care about this club, players that have been waiting for the chance, and who uh, that the fans really connect to. And you can't really underestimate how much it means to for these fans to finally see these players that they've been uh, banging the drum of for so long to actually get a chance. And if they brought in a bunch of expensive players now. Um, it could really upset that and I don't think they've got anything extra to gain so it makes sense for me to let um, these youngsters carry on having a year uh, getting carry on having another six months getting used to being around the first team at Chelsea and they've got like Rudiger to come back who's genuinely a top quality centre-back I mean he could be the guy that they, all they need anyway you know and then carry on letting the likes of Mason Mount and Tamori and Reese James and Tammy Abraham get this game time and Pulisic is just starting to find form as well like, it makes no sense to me to try and upset that for very minimal gain and also we all know as well transfer fee uh, we also know Chelsea bought nothing in the summer, really. So, uh, any, so any they brought Pulisic in, but that deal had already yeah, been done before. So the boys they spent no money, so everyone knows they've got money burning in the back pocket. So basically, anyone they they go to now in general go well. There's a January premium, and the fact that you've got lo- you bought no one in the summer premium. So anyone that Chelsea go for is going to be like forty percent, yeah, yeah, more expensive. So it makes no sense for them to dip into the market now. They could do it, of course, and I'm sure if they feel like they've got a player they've been wanting for a long time, they'll go for it. But it doesn't it doesn't need to happen. No, it doesn't need Didn't- to. January is a market for the desperate and yeah, Chelsea aren't yeah. desperate. So no. why get involved? Just uh, keep your powder dry, see how the youngsters develop and go for it in the summer. They're yeah. six points clear for a fifth as well. So the, the fourth, they, they should finish top six. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But I think the only potential way I could see them dipping in and, and Tyrone's right in terms of you look at the transfers that tend to get made in January, it tends to be sides in the bottom half of the table looking to get the players to try and keep them in the division. And I think from Chelsea's point of view, I would agree they don't need to make a big statement statement to signing anything over probably over 20 or 30 million. But in terms of the rest of the season, they're anticipating remaining in the Champions League and wanting to continue through the knockout rounds. There's the possibility of two cup competitions for, the, for them in the, in the new year. I would potentially be looking to add a couple of experienced heads if they've been gotten the right deal, if you can put them in a contractual situation whereby they're comfortable enough knowing that they're going to be back up to these young players, that they're, they're comfortable playing every other week or cup competitions or stepping in and covering here and there. And there's an interesting thing as well, as well as being able to bring players in, there's now an onus on potentially selling players. So you could be looking at someone like Olivier Giroud moving on. He's been quite clear that he's frustrated. He's not been playing a lot. Michi Bachawai's also been linked with a move away. 
Abraham's been massively impressive this season, but there needs to be cover for him. There needs to be someone in place. He's had a couple of injuries in recent weeks. Giroud's come in, not exactly lit it up, and he's potentially moving on, as I mentioned. They've also had a couple of little niggling injuries in midfield. Kante struggled earlier this season. He's back to fitness now, but Kovacic is... is um, not likely, I can't think of the word that I'm um, I'm trying to think of, but he, he does pick up injuries relatively regularly due to the style of his game. So a couple of heads put in certain positions to provide cover, yeah. But as Steve said, no need to be going out and splashing money, particularly when a side is going to chuck on probably an extra 30, 40 million and just try and try and abuse the, the power that they have. One thing I'll mention uh, about Everton today is the caretaker manager, Duncan Ferguson. <laughs> Big dunk. And, and if anybody's going to get you to perform, it's that man. I mean, I'm terrified well, just saying his name. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you're going onto the pitch terrified of letting down your manager, then you're probably going to let down your manager. Yeah, he's crippled so, with fear. Yeah, yeah. He, but no, he made a very good, very, very interesting point in his um, in his press conference because obviously so much of the rhetoric about is, Dunk, do something crazy, crazy, <laughs> get, get a journalist in a headlock. No, and he, and he said, I want them to play with heart and passion but with intelligence and I thought that was brilliant because it just nullified a lot of that rhetoric because as Tyrone says if if the players are either scared or the players are so hyped up like a a kid on Christmas morning then they're not going to be able to perform against the really really excellent Chelsea side they're going to struggle to to match expectations in front of a loud Goodison Park they need to use the heads they need to use whatever 24 hours worth of training Ferguson's been able to give them and look to win a football match. He's probably calmed down now. He's 47, you know. Like He's not a kid that he was there when he like, you forget that, that was a long time ago, that kind of stuff. And mm. I, think it, I think it's just the stare he has. Yeah, the yeah. stare. He's definitely terrifying. I'd still call him Mr. Right Ferguson. Oh, yeah, definitely. But you forget, he's probably got, I don't know, I, I presume he's got a family, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You presume he spent mm. a lot of time coaching the young footballers. He's probably just not quite as crazy as you want to us. I'm sure he's actually probably um, quite respected in a good way. I reckon he is probably quite thoughtful. I reckon he is actually probably just looking for his players and basing this on absolutely nothing over <laughs> Just general, like, you're, just, but, you're just saying that so he doesn't get you in a headlock. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I, oh, I mean, he's he's been a coach for a while now, and mm. he's he's got this chance not because he's a Everton legend, probably because he's actually you know respected there. I presume he's he's, he's probably plenty of other people that they could, I'm sure they could put there. But I reckon at home, you know, in Goodison, at Goodison with like um, him in the dugout, Everton did play pretty well for large parts of the Liverpool game. Um, I mean, statistically, they had the same match shots and goals Liverpool mm-hmm. and stuff, obviously, and they were probably unlucky to not get a penalty at two one. And I reckon we'll, they'll probably see the new manager. Boom, you know that happens, and well, it could happen. I think it'll be interesting to see what sort of new manager bounce there is, because by all accounts, the players quite liked Marco Silva, and you hear that a lot mm-hmm. of Marco Silva's clubs that the players quite like his training sessions and quite like working under him. He's just not very good at his job, seemingly. Yeah. But then he keeps getting these jobs and it suddenly dawned on me today because I've been trying to work it out for a while and the, a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember which game it was, but I was just, I, I had a debate with Niall and I was saying, how, how, how is he still in a job? And Niall was saying, how did he get the job? And I was like, how is he still in the job? <laughs> and it suddenly dawned on me when I was watching a couple of movies. Marco Silver, yeah, if he was called John Smith, he wouldn't have got these jobs. <laughs> it's fair, he did pretty well at one point. It was just like... um. It's- Cool guy, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah. wonder if he, if he's just some kind of, and obviously you know I'm, I'm doing this the caveat of like you know this is all in jest, not to be serious, but like it, I was watching Ocean's Eleven, and I wonder is is he just some kind of like you know it's it's a made up character and a con man, and he's just conned all these people into getting the job because of his record and the way he's gone it's because fair. his his record is isn't that great apart no, from one not. season with Olympiacos, was it? Yeah. If you're going to make up a manager, you'd call him Marco Silva, wouldn't you? So, like, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> he's, right? got, he's got the name, he's, he's got, got the, the look, looks, yeah. he talks a good game, so you can kind of see why he gets the jobs. But charms people, he charms, he charms his way to people, the job. Yeah. But I don't think 
anyone really knows what he's about. I couldn't he's, tell you what his. What I think, his I think style this could is. have been his. I think Everton could well be his last charm offensive in English football. Yeah. I think that's three. He doesn't pr- have the. It was a hole, wasn't it? Where he did well. He, well, he nearly. But he got them. Da- he got they them still in, went down. I think. I think he, he got, got football. Thing, yeah. I, th- I think you said it in the podcast yesterday. You said that he, they got relegated well. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it was, and and that's the way it was framed when when Everton initially got him, and even when Watford got him. Of yeah, they went down, but do you see do you see how they went down? <laughs> if I was going to go down, I'd want to go down like that. But like, no, they still went down. Like there's no there's no grey areas with regards to United, rele- with they, regards yeah. to relegation. You either yeah. stay up or you go down, and he went down. He got them in a position to stay up, though. He took over when it was a lost cause, worked miracles, got them in a position to stay up, and then they finished the season badly, and he didn't complete the job. I think, as you said before, this is this is an this is an example. And Mashiri took the strange step of before he fired him, he had a meeting with the players and asked the players their opinion. And I imagine there's probably a lot of shuffling feet in the in the mm. Finch Farm canteen, and, and not really a lot of people looking Mashiri in the face. But that's an example of it. The players would look at him and go, "Yeah, he's he's all right. He doesn't cause any problems. Training's okay." Because they can't, you know, they're not in a position and they don't have to see the bigger mm. picture in the way that the club's ownership has to see it. And that's exactly what's happened. Silver is a, is a manager at Hull, at Watford, I said this time and again, and then at Everton. There is no plan, there is no way of playing, and that's been found out. It doesn't mean that he's you know an absolutely horrendous manager. I just don't think he's anything. No. I think he's just, he's like a slice of bread. He's just there. Wow, that, that's even more cutting him anyways. Yeah, he's, let, just, he's just there. Let's leave that at, at terrible times. <laughs> let's just move uh, a, a couple of yards, really, across to Anfield. <laughs> where they're, they're having a great time. They're at Bournemouth. Let's look at the rest of the three o'clock today. So uh, Liverpool travelling down to Bournemouth. I have to say, watching this week on, on Amazon, watch the, watch the derby, and I was watching, as a City fan, watching that Liverpool game and going, wow, this is how we played last season. They, we've kind of lost it a little bit. The last two seasons, the way we've been playing, and it seems to be that Liverpool have kind of overtaken us in that way. There was that one moment in the game, I think it was the third goal, where Trent Alexander-Arnold was basically playing left wing, and I was like, "Wow, this mm. is this is," and it was just all the way through. It was brilliant. And the the thing was, like, there was a little bit of cavalier about them. They were like, "Oh, you can score. We don't care. We're just mm. going to keep going." But it was really exciting to watch. Yeah, it was. But the interesting thing is, they've not actually been like that for a few weeks now. Probably they've been kind of grinding results out. Yeah. They've had a lot of two ones, a lot of games where they've won by just the odd goal. Um, I watched the game at Crystal Palace when I was on, <coughs> excuse me, on holiday in Portugal on three o'clock kickoff and. Anyway, it was a poor game, really. Yeah. It was a poor game, but they found a way to get the win, and that's what they've been doing. But I thought it was interesting the way they played on Wednesday, and you know they'd have seen City win at Burnley on Tuesday. City looked back to their best. Everyone suddenly going, "Hang on, is this over?" Then maybe it's not over, especially with Liverpool having not been convincing. And then they go and play like that, and all right, they were ropey defensively, but that's the best they've played going forward. You'd have to Possibly be mad this not season. to say they're going to win this. Both well, lost four in a row. You know? I mean, they've, yeah. they, they've been streaking ahead at Christmas twice in the Premier League and not won it. Surely they that can't was, do it a third time. Yeah, I mean, no, they won't. That's different. Liverpool's teams were built on, um, they're built on kind of like unsteady ground those times. You look, at, look at the teams, look at those previous title challenges. Each time, the, the following season, the team dropped off miles. They just weren't really built for it. It was a, There were title runs built on energy and emotion, but no actual quality. And you can only look at the fact that Liverpool have lost, what, one game since like, Year and a half, something like that. Yeah, like it's it's crazy. Then the fact that this team is different to those ones, they weren't that good. They were just this is actually good, a good team. And I don't really, sadly, I wish it was true as a City fan. I wish it was true they're going to bottle it, but I don't think they're um, the same Liverpool team of the old. I think they're actually very, very, very good. Any Uh, chance that Bournemouth could do uh, the two cities any favours? No, I mean look at the numbers here. They've won one in the last eight, but I think that tells only one part of the story. Eddie Howe's the injury situation that he's been having to deal with. 
every preview that I write every week, the sentence constantly seems to be, Eddie Howe is battling an injury crisis. Eddie Howe is coping with an injury crisis. And, and that's been the case constantly. And it just seems to be every time he gets a player back, someone else gets injured or someone gets suspended. This weekend against Liverpool, for example, Steve Cook fell over against Tottenham and broke his wrist. He's now out for a month. Uh, Harry Wilson's ineligible, ineligible to play against Liverpool. Um, and this is what Howe was dealing with. And the Palace game in midweek was worrying for me. I quite like Eddie Howe and everything he's done at Bournemouth. And as a manager, I, I really like him. But there just seemed to be a sense of him in the press conference afterwards that he, he looked a beaten man. It's the first time I've ever seen Eddie Howe look like that. He's normally so effervescent and so positive and, and he wants to talk about wants to talk his players up. I, I'm a little bit worried about what he sees at Bournemouth at the moment because there is only so much he can take in terms of dealing with his players constantly being injured in terms of the budget that he's operating with and, and the framework that he's operating within at the club. And when you're in that sort of situation, it can be very hard to turn it round. It's not a slight on how, but it's a look at, well, how much more can he continue at this club? And obviously playing Liverpool, albeit at home, yes, is, is the worst team you want to be playing in this situation because as we, the guys have said before, they're absolutely ruthless this season. They won't have any time for house situation or injuries or, or anything like that. They're simply focused on keeping as much of a gap between themselves and, and Manchester City. And as much as I would like to see a little bit of a chink for chink of light for, for Bournemouth in the next couple of weeks, it looks difficult. Uh, let's have a look at the other three o'clocks today. Uh, let's start with two teams that lost midweek. <coughs> uh, Tottenham playing host to Burnley. Uh, so Mourinho was... The golden child, great start to him coming in there and then uh, back back to his old ways, I guess, in not winning at Old Trafford. Yeah, uh, obviously there's all the chat at the end of the game about Solskjaer giving him a little rub on the head, a little pat on the head, which I thought was brilliant. But for me, it was all about Rashford. I've, I've, I've almost go as far as to say, forgive me if, if I'm wrong on this, Tyrone, I've never seen Rashford so determined to prove a point in 90 minutes mm. of football. He was Amazing. He's just on it, at and the he just he couldn't stop. And you, you just you, you know, we we try to draw these you know subplots and lines in all of these stories. Part of that has to be down to the fact that the way Mourinho treated him, the way his time at Manchester United ended, and and where Rashford's role in the team was at that time, and and he was absolutely brilliant. And Tottenham struggled to find answers. And yeah, Mourinho started very well with them, but that's an example of the issues that they had right at the end of Maurizio Pochettino are not going to go away overnight mm. and particularly under a manager like Mourinho. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I still think Tottenham will have too much for Burnley here. I, I was at City Burnley on Tuesday and I actually used to cover Burnley as well until about 12 months ago. So I used to see them quite a lot. And when I first started doing them, they were very good against top six teams and they, you know, there used to be this idea that Turf Moor is a horrible place to go for top yeah. six teams, but it's just not the case anymore. Mm. They've just been, the way they play, I think they've been found out. I think that, you know, if you just go to toe to toe with them, the quality will eventually show. And I just don't think they've got enough about them to to trouble these big six teams anymore. Particularly away from home, so, I yeah, would say. Yeah. Away from home. Uh, no Europa League hangover this season, though. So they seem to have kind of gone back to where they were. But Wolves, who we'll get onto a little bit, have, have proved that's maybe uh, that there's maybe a hair of the dog for that hangover. Uh, let's look at <laughs> Watford and Palace, another London derby. Um, although, interestingly <coughs> as well, can you remember a time when Crystal Palace were ahead of both Arsenal and Tottenham? Because that's what happened with the way the results went this week. Uh, no, I can't. I don't think I would have been even a, a glint in the milkman's eye at that stage in terms of where, when Palace would have been ahead. But again, they've, they've, they've got themselves a system in terms of, I would say... Man for man, they're one of the, if not the most organised team in the league in that Hodgson knows where every single player needs to be. 
at every every potential match situation and, and they're bearing fruit from that. Midweek win over Bournemouth, as I mentioned before, that was built on this idea of... Bear in mind as well, they were down to 10 men after a few they, minutes. They had well. a man sent off and they literally all just went, they were, they were like soldiers. Right, everyone move across, everyone move back, everyone move forward. And and that's how, the, that's how they've been doing it so far. They'll fancy the chances against Watford, who've been having big problems. Nigel Pearson's been announced as um, manager, but Hayden Mullins... Hayden Mullins, Hayden Mullins will be in the dugout for this game and, and they're in real trouble and up against, as I say, really organised, efficient Palace team. I think this is only going one way. Pearson, man, just, where's that come from? He was I'd, sacked from a Belgian club only a few months ago and like, and, uh, he's not been in the Premier League since when? Was it Was it Norwich last time he was in the Premier League? Leicester, wasn't it? Leicester, Leicester. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, to, 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 be, Gate. to be fair, he, he did a lot with Leicester there. That uh, a, lot, a lot of the Leicester fans that I know, and obviously we spoke to Jordan, we can't get him back right now to ask him, but a lot of people credit him with building the team that Ranieri came in and, uh, and ran away with. Uh, the Premier League that season. Um, I, I think that'll be quite interesting. To be honest, it's it's an uphill battle. Yeah, it's, it's a weird done. one. I they're mean, done. they've gone for just some guy who's going to come in and try and fire them up, haven't they? Basically, they've I'd, gone for oh, that's it. They want some passion. They've gone, for a, they've gone for a PE teacher, basically. Yeah, I mean, what, what's the thinking that takes you in the space of? Three months from Javi Gracia to Kike Sanchez Flores to Nigel Pearson. There is no. no I mean, where, where's there, the, the links there? It's just a, just a dartboard mentality. It, it, it yeah. strikes me yeah. as a championship appointment that we're it's a short term, go isn't it? Of course, we're going to go down. He can bring us back up. Yeah, it'll probably yeah. just be turned the season. So uh, let's look ahead to Sunday now, and uh, first kick off is Newcastle Southampton. Newcastle have been doing very well recently. Yes. Have we all underestimated Steve Bruce? Well, um, I mean. I, I think the Newcastle fans might have underestimated Steve Bruce. I think a lot of their anger was probably to do with Rafa going. I mean, they're doing okay, aren't they? They're not playing spectacular football. Their wins have come when they've had barely touched the ball. I mean, I think... 2-0 away at Sheffield United was great, wasn't it? It was a great win, but I think they had 25%, 28% possession, something like that. They won at Tottenham with 23% possession. They're not great to watch, but, you know, they've got the front three, which I know Jolinton didn't play the other night, but Sam Maximan's a exciting if infuriating player so I think they've got enough about them to to stay up I just think I just think they're doing roughly what they did last season really and yeah you have got to say credit to to Bruce I think he's had a very bad (coughs) rep in that job I think he's suffered by not being Rafa Benitez for the Newcastle fans but you know he is doing it he's doing a good job they're just they're just I wouldn't choose to watch them mid-table they're only like one bad weekend away from dropping down to low yeah it's so congested there but yeah, I mean, fair play. I, I, I personally thought they'd probably do a little bit worse than they are, so mm. you have to give Bruce a bit of credit. Sheffield United outperforming everybody's expectations. I love them. Great, aren't so, they? Many, so many people had them down as being relegation fodder straight away. I feel bad for not knowing enough as much about Chris Wilder as I did before, and to be honest, I didn't realise how much of a winner he is. Like, um, I saw this interview with him somewhere. I was like, oh, the. Um, the, the 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 not it wasn't, wasn't non-league but it was like the um, championship Guardiola or something I was like what the other about so looking to his history <coughs> he just wins everywhere he goes yeah, he he's just an actual winner like um, every level he's got promotions and won trophies and all that kind of stuff uh, and Sheffield United football is absolutely fascinating and I love it I love the fact that they play like a big team yeah. they try and exert their authority on teams and uh, currently sat in ninth they're obviously got no chance of worrying about relegation just bold good football so they're at Norwich today. Timo Puki scored again this week, but uh, can we see Norwich doing enough to stay up? I think they've got a chance. They're, 
they're kind of they're a bit like Aston Villa in a way. And they play a very front foot offensive style. I think all promoted teams do, and I think it's brilliant that promoted teams are coming up mm. and taking on the Premier League's best teams and going toe to toe with them, and it makes for a great watch. But in Norwich's case, they probably haven't got the players that Villa have yeah. to to keep them in the league, and it's they need it's teams probably to be worse cost a lot, them. don't they? they? Need teams to be worse than them. That's the they problem do. they've got. And you look at the ones above them, and Everton, you, surely they'll get better. You know, surely they will do. Mm. You'd think maybe Southampton's Premier League experience might help them a little bit. Villa, probably better team than Norwich. West Ham aren't going to drop, surely. You know, surely not. And then you look it's at only really Watford. It's, yeah, it's Watford. Watford you think the worst, teams yeah. above them, Burnley aren't going to fall that far. Brighton are probably going to be all right. It's going to be tough for Norwich because they might get a little bit better, but I don't think enough, better enough mm. to you know, jump out of the relegation zone. Right, last game of the weekend is uh, Brighton at home to Wolves. Uh, Graham Potter signing a new contract uh, this this season, this season, this week after after that win over Arsenal, uh, I really like Brighton. They they've really impressed me. I really like Potter as a manager. I really like what he's getting out mm. of players. I've said this before. He seems to be able to bring players in that have maybe underperformed at other clubs and get the best out of them. I think in terms of the Arsenal result was almost a blueprint of when they've been good this season. That's what they can do. They've obviously had little dips here and there, but the way they approach the game, the way that they the way that they deliberately looked at Arsenal's situation and went, there's issues here mentally, there's issues here, there's issues here confidence-wise, attack that, exploit that. Right from the word go, Neil Morpai, Aaron Connolly didn't give uh, the Arsenal back line a moment's peace. And even when Torreira tried to drop in or Shaka tried to drop in, Brighton would just overload them, they'd, they'd get midfielders forward and they fully deserved to win. Um, I, I thought towards the second half, I thought Arsenal might hold out for the draw, which is a mad thing to say at home to Brighton. But... <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the way that Brighton played and the way that they've set up, they were perfectly, perfectly capable of winning. And I don't think Arsenal really caused them that many problems. The Lacazette goal came from a set piece. Matt Ryan was solid in goal, but didn't make an enormous amount of saves. And Potter does, I would say, if there's one criticism I was making, he needs to decide if he wants to go with a back four or a back five mm. for the remainder of the season because he's tried to chop and change between the two. But other than that. They're performing really well of late. I think the most impressive thing is that he has changed the style of that club and changed the way they play so quickly, considering they were very, you know, they were very dogmatic under Hewton, they were very disciplined, and he's just kind of turned them into a, a front foot team. And, you know, they really took the game to Arsenal. They came to Old Trafford in this year and had a go. And, you know, they, they play football that is really good to watch. And he's, he's achieved that in a very short space of time. What about Wolves? I mean, they've completely turned around the start of the season. They couldn't get a win. Uh, I think six, seven games in, they were sort of propping up the table with uh, with Watford. And now they've managed to not only sort of pull themselves back up the table, but continue to do well in the Europa League. Are, are we seeing something very special happening there? Well, the fifth, aren't they? After being at such a slow start as well. Um, I mean, they've only won five games out of 15 in the fifth, which is crazy. Isn't it? it shows like how, how kind of messed up that kind of middle of the table. Yeah. It's not like um, after the top, there's a bit of a drop off, but they're winning games that they want to win. Basically, they need to win. You're beating teams around, they're beating the likes of, uh, you know, Watford, um, uh, they're beating like Aston Villa the other day, then Bournemouth. These are the kind of games that they want to win. And like, they're, they're just good. It feels like no one's really talked about this year, does it? I think it's because they started that slow start and you've kind of, they just kind of crept up to where they are. I'm like, oh, the fifth. How did that mm. happen? But like, obviously, very good team. And they didn't invest as much as I thought they were going to do in the summer, actually, weirdly. But no, um, maybe maybe it's the fact that they are, have to start it early in the season, weirdly. At this stage of the season, it'll benefit a bit because they're a little bit sharper because they've had a, lot, a little bit longer to get into the rhythm. Maybe it's at the end of the season where they'll probably start to feel a little bit of the fatigue. But for now, 
they're, they're sharp and that's a big thing in football isn't it I just think the way they've approached the Europa League has taught a bit of a lesson to the likes of Burnley and other teams in other seasons where they've just picked up the same squad that finished the season five weeks beforehand and gone go and play away here and away there and get into the Europa League group stages they've planned for this they were confident that they were going to get there towards the back end of last season as Steve said they've not spent a huge amount of money what they've done is sensible business uh, Dendonka and Jimenez who were in on loan last season they've got them in on permanent deals and one or two other figures to make sure that the squad is is nice and beefed up for, for what could be a long season and I think if you approach the Europa League qualifying stages sensibly in terms of squad management and and budget management, then it can work in your favour. If you don't, you end up with a situation like Burnley did last season where terrible starts to the season, they get dragged into a relegation battle. Wolves are actually showing that these things can be done, difficult, but can be done. And that's the game week wrapped up. Well, apart from uh, you've got West Ham Arsenal, but that's on Monday, so we'll leave that to Niall and the guys uh, on tomorrow's show. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for helping me out today. Uh, no Steve McInerney. Thank you. Uh, Tyrone Marshall. Thank you. Fergal Brennan. Thank you very much. And me, Ant McGinley. That was the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Preview Show. And as ever, we have a daily Premier League podcast where you can catch up on all the latest going-ons. Going-ons or goings-on? Goings-on. All the stuff that's happening. (laughs) And you can always catch up on the latest news on your own team. Simply ask your Alexa device to enable Sports Social. Football Social Daily Premier League Preview. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.